grace and peace to you, and welcome to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now, this is a church that exists to help people like you find the real life you were created for, find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in the series in the first book of 1 Corinthians. Today we're in chapter 8. Pastor Sean challenges you to grow in your faith, just like he does so often. Part of that challenge is often to stop doing what you shouldn't be doing. That includes something called legalism. Sean's got some great stories on that. Reachingforreallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. If you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do today. There's a place to give at reachingforreallife.org. The message today is called A Matter of Conscience. It's in the series called One. Sean starts off in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. In the series of 1 Corinthians, the series is called One. Because Paul is advocating one gospel, one church, one spirit, and one mission. And we started this whole conversation, remember, with the cancer of division is the decision to follow Jesus. And we've seen that that is the ultimate, that's really the whole thing. And Paul in chapter 1, over and over, he talks about the gospel of our Father and of Jesus Christ. Father and Jesus Christ. He keeps taking us back to that idea. The cure for the cancer of division, which is rampant, is the decision to follow Jesus. Because when we follow the same leader, we all of a sudden find ourselves growing closer together and walking in greater levels of unity. We talked about a lot of things. We talked about how we've been given the mind of Christ. We talked about maturity that's, that's found in the fruit that we bear. We talked about how we're not called really to success, but to faithfulness. Talked about sin, our view of sin. We talked about sexuality. Last week, we learned that marriage is a sacred union instituted by God to be the foundation of all human families. If you miss any of these messages, you can go back on the app and you can find those. You can find them at reallife.org. I encourage you. Because it's just a, we're taking one message out of each chapter and just trying to say, what, what's the Lord want to say to us through this book of 1 Corinthians on this issue of one? Today, we want to look at what Paul addresses as a matter of conscience, a matter of conscience. I'm going to begin reading 1 Corinthians 8, 1, and it's a very short chapter. I'll just read the whole chapter. He says, now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that all, we know that we all possess knowledge. Listen, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something yet do not know as they ought to know. Let me read that again corrected. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Now, that first sentence, I I just want to point something out. That is such a powerful thing. We could just take the whole morning and talk about this idea. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. That's true so many different ways. Now about COVID-19, we know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Now, when it comes to face masks, we all possess knowledge, but we know that knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Supreme Court nominees, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Organic and non-GMO foods, and some of you are like, whoa, 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 don't go there. Don't go there. (laughs) Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. We all possess knowledge. Big deal, he's saying. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. That is such an important understanding. Because we think knowledge is God, and it's not. Because knowledge, when misused, can cause all kinds of damage, even if it is accurate. 
He says, knowledge puffs up because it becomes a matter of pride. I know more than you. I can cite more sources than you, whatever. Whereas love says, whatever knowledge I may have, I want to use it to build you up. I want, to, I want to submit it to the Lord and build you up. See, that's such an important idea in our information age where we think information is God. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Verse 4. He goes back to the, his main idea. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. Those two big ideas from, from really the Old Testament. An idol is nothing. Nothing at all in the world. It's a piece of wood. It's a piece of stone. It's a made-up thing. And he also says, there is no God but one. A core idea of Judaism upon which the Christian faith rests fully. There is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, and indeed there are many, quote, gods and many, quote, lords, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all came, from whom all things came, and from whom we all live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, through whom we live. You remember from chapter 1? He, said, he keeps saying this over and over. He's trying to get these people to stop arguing over these different things. These are all different types of divisions. That's why it's so relevant to us, because we do the same thing. There is one God, Father, from whom all things came, and for whom, and for whom we all live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. The food is defiled. Their conscience is violated. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. But look at this. So he's saying there's these people, and again, he's talking to a church that has some Jews with Judaism who, have, who understand this. And he's also talking about some church who has a bunch of converts from paganism, a bunch of Greeks, a bunch of Corinthians who, who have a very different understanding. They came from these places where these, there's, there, was this sac- there were sacrifices to idols. In the Hebrew culture, they had sacrifices in the temple. To God and in the pagan cultures, they had sacrifices to these idols. And for them, if they know, wait a minute, that meat was meat that came from that. I can't eat that. Because to them at one time it meant something. But now it doesn't. Paul says their conscience won't allow them to do this. And he says, verse 9, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights, he's talking to the ones who know the difference, who know that idol is nothing, there is only one God. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Make note of that phrase, a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating at an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. You know it doesn't make a difference. You know food, as Jesus said, just passes through, nourishes and just passes through. But that person doesn't. So the weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them, not against God, but against them in this way, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. 
Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I'll not cause them to fall. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that we would hear your heart. Give us your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So it begins with this idea that knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And then this idea of food sacrifice to idols. We're in a culture where idolatry was rampant. And there were, there were sacrifices. And then the meat was made available, or the meat was eaten at the temples, but, or people had the meat. It put a Christian in this tough place. Now, now many knew, it doesn't matter, I'm not worshiping this idol. I'm not in any way participating in this, and this is just meat. And I have the freedom to eat this. He says, but many of your brothers might not. So you need to be careful. You need to think about your brother. See, it's matters of conscience. Now, I want to real quickly make a distinction between matters of conscience and biblical commands. Matters of conscience and biblical commands. There's an interesting illustration of this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. I'm just going to read this. I'm not, I don't have it on slides. Beginning at verse 27, Jesus said, You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. He says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in, her, in his heart. And then listen to what he says. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, understand, Jesus is not advocating gouging out our eyes here. Good news. What he is saying is whatever it takes to remain pure in your pursuit of him, do it. That's what he's saying. And that's the difference between the command and matters of conscience. The command is don't commit adultery. The command is don't look lustfully. The matter of conscience might be, and he's using an extreme example just to make a point, the matter of conscience might be, I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, I'm going to gouge my eye out because it, it is causing me to stumble. That's how, that's how severe. He's not saying, you, uh, this is a command. He's saying, I want you to know what you need to do. Um, some people talk about what's called the Billy Graham rule. You know, you know what the Billy Graham rule is? This is something that pastors talk about. Billy Graham had a rule. He would never meet alone with a woman without his wife being there. And I know today, actually, the Billy Graham rule, which used to be a, 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 just a strong guideline for Christian men because there were certain leaders who fell in moral failure and the Billy Graham rule was held up and looked at as something that leaders should pursue. Now, there's a whole kind of feminist backlash in the church. It's like, wait a minute, that cuts women off from access to leaders and things like that. doesn't mean Billy Graham never met with women. That wasn't true at all. He was just very careful. He wanted to be, for his own sake, above reproach. Now, does the Bible ever say men can't meet with women? No, of course not. doesn't say men can't meet alone with women. This was a matter of conscience that Billy Graham said, I want to be above reproach and I want to protect my heart, myself, this woman, her family, and so I'm going to have a guideline. He also tore every TV, I'm told, out of a hotel room before he went in. Seriously. And then offered to pay for it, and did. If they, if they wouldn't remove it before he got there, he, you know, this is a story in his biography, he tore it out and said, please send me the bill. Have it repaired and send me the bill. Again, there, he's not saying all Christians should tear TVs out of their hotel rooms. Please don't say Pastor Sean said that, okay? I don't want Holiday in getting a hold of me. You know. It's a matter of conscience. He felt like the Lord didn't want him to have that kind of distraction, temptation, whatever it was, and so he was hardcore 
but that's a matter of conscience. So that, there's a difference between a command and a matter of conscience. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about. And let's take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called A Matter of Conscience, which is available right now on the sermon page at reachingforreallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Donate tab at reachingforreallife.org. And in fact, right now, your gift of any amount will get you the latest book from Pastor Sean Azaro. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message, A Matter of Conscience. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. And then Philippians 4, 8, we know Paul wrote this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's a command. The problem is it doesn't give us the specific guidelines. So it is a matter of conviction, a matter of conscience as to what that means. Pure. Lovely, above reproach, these things. I'm supposed to think about these things. For some people, that means I'm not going to participate in these types of entertainment at all. And I think that can be a very significant, valid decision as a matter of conscience. The command is think on things that are pure, lovely, good report. The matter of conscience might be how you apply that. Because we're all called to walk in obedience. We're all called to crucify the flesh in Christ. Some of the specifics of how we feel called to do that can be very different. And that's what Paul's talking about. So here's the main point of the message. Okay, if you're taking notes, write this down. Because Paul comes back to meat sacrifice to idols. Thou shalt, you know, and and here's the thing. On on the meat sacrifice to idols, remember what the command was. In the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven image. There's the command. The matter of conscience was whether or not you choose to eat meat if you know it was sacrificed to idols. Some people are absolutely fine and their conscience doesn't bother them. They know the idol's a piece of wood or stone. Others, no, 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 I came from that background. That's a significant thing. I got, I'm, I'm going to abstain completely. Matter of conscience. So here's the main point. There's a time to abstain, but why you abstain makes all the difference. There is a time to abstain. But why you abstain makes all the difference. There are things that we are called or that we will feel called to say, that's not for me. As I follow Jesus, that thing is not for me. I'm going to abstain. But why you abstain is key. And that's what I want to talk about real quickly this morning. A few points about this. Number one, the gospel is a matter of freedom from sin, not bondage to legalism. The gospel is a matter of freedom from sin, not bondage to legalism. 
the reason this is so important is that we as church people, we actually tend to be a little prone to legalism. See, Jesus actually on the cross set us free from the bondage of sin and from the trap of self-effort. What the cross communicates, whether it's the cross at the front of this room right over there, whether it's the cross around my neck or yours or the cross on your wall at home, what the cross says is I can't save myself and Jesus did that for me. He lived a sinless life and then paid the penalty for my sin. Self-effort will never do it. The irony is that we in church circles have then proceeded to say, Jesus paid the penalty for you, Jesus, and now here's all this other stuff that you need to do if you really want to be a good Christian for Jesus. And don't get me wrong, there are things that the Bible tells us we need to do as we follow Jesus. I'm talking about all the other stuff. I grew up Pentecostal. I mean, we took it to a next level art form. I mean, as far as what you ate, what you drank, what you dressed like, what, what, how women did their hair. They couldn't cut their hair. And then so they put their hairs around, hair around coffee cans and made this huge Marge Simpson bumblebee thing. You don't think Marge Simpson made that up. Matt Groening didn't make that up for Marge Simpson. That guy grew up in church, I promise you. Ned Flanders convinced me the creator of Simpsons grew up in church. Hoddly-doodly. You guys watch The Simpsons. I'm, I, see, that's a matter of conscience. I can't believe you all. He didn't make that up. That's real stuff. That's real. And I remember when I got saved as a little kid. I was eight years old when I got saved. I remember going to church, this Pentecostal church, and these ladies with these things. I'm like to my mom, looking at them. She's hitting me, making me stop staring. It's the lady sitting down in church. You want to get a tape measure? How tall is that thing? That, well done. It's that, and, and by the way, we're making fun a little bit, right? Of course. Okay, that's fine. That was an attempt to do something that led to righteousness. And for the first people who did that, here's the, here's the thing that will really blow your mind. It probably was a step of obedience to avoid the worldly kind of approach to appearance, the worldly approaches to grooming and accentuating of the feminine beauty. And all those were an attempt to walk in righteousness But after a generation or so, when we forgot why, it just became legalism. And here's the thing about legalism. Legalism and judgment always go hand in hand. And let me tell you why. Judgment is the point. Judgment is the point because legalism is a scorecard by which I am better than others at keeping the rules. And I get to judge them and I get to win. I get to say, oh, look, I did the rules better. I didn't taste, I didn't touch, I dressed different, I, and I'm a better Christian. Because the real Christian stuff is much harder. Like, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Love your neighbor. Feed the poor. I mean, there is real stuff in the Scripture that tells us how to follow Jesus. But it's so much easier if we just make up some rules and then kind of say, okay, the good Christians are the ones who do these few things in the checkpoint, which I've kind of rigged so I can win. And it's usually not that strategic, but it gets passed down in generation after generation. We read the book uh, Unshockable Love as a leadership team by John Burke, and he talked about the study that was done between their church and the Barna group regarding the attitudes and actions of Jesus 
versus the attitudes and actions of the Pharisees. And I think they were surprised. I was surprised how much of the attitudes and actions of the Pharisees are just in me because of my church upbringing. It's not like I intentionally said, I want these things in my life. But I just find, I run into them. I have to deal with them in my head all the time. Wait a minute, is that Jesus or is that the Pharisees? Where'd that, where'd that thought come from about that person or about that act? Is that, did Jesus tell me I have to think that way? Is that the way Jesus would look at that person? Or is that the Pharisee in me that was just raised to see people that way? And it's just interesting how much of a part, and, and legalism and judgment always go hand in hand. They really do. The fact is I get to win. Colossians 2, 16 through 23, listen to what Paul wrote there. He said, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Don't let anyone judge you that way. These are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. He's dealing with issues that they had to deal with, but there was a lot of judgment. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head, talking about Jesus, from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. In another level, a letter, he said, that head is Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Interesting phrase. They have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They don't retrain the heart. See, legalism appears spiritual, but is often quite carnal. When you stop and think about legalism, the kind of rules by which we shame each other, the rules that aren't necessarily biblical, they're just rules that we have because we're good church people. They're more often than not based in pride, which is carnal. Fear, which is carnal. False wisdom, which another way to say that is foolishness. Legalism appears spiritual, but it's actually quite carnal. The two things I think we can draw from here, don't judge others on these matters. Don't judge others on these matters. And, And here's the thing, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, but don't we encourage each other in righteousness? Yes, that we do. But I don't get to be the judge. I don't get to cast judgment. I don't get to make up rules. The Word of God says it. That is our guideline. You know, even around here as a church, yes, we have bylaws. But when we get together for meetings, we want the Scripture to be our primary guide. We have articles of incorporation. We have bylaws. We're all legal and stuff, really. But when we meet and when we do business together, when we operate, we want the Scripture to be our guide. Because that's not just made-up rules of men. It is the eternal word of God. And so we don't get to go, and if I don't like the way a person has chosen to really walk out 
their desire to follow Jesus in righteousness or the way they believe the Lord's leading. I don't get to go and judge them because Paul says in other passages, we'll read in a minute, who are you to judge another man's servant? <laughs> They're going to answer to him. But the second thing he said, so I, I don't waste my time going around and judging everybody, okay? There are ways in the church, and Matthew 18, if a brother's overcoming sin or if he sins against you, there are ways to actually help. There are ways to handle this. I'm not saying we never deal with sin. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying this idea of, of kind of casting judgment on everybody, which not only is the church kind of struggled with, now the whole culture. We live in the most judgy culture in the world. And we have wonderful tools like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram to help us cast judgment on people we don't even know. We have known nothing about them. But man, I heard that they tweeted something, so I judged them. Secondly, and I want you to, I want you to hear this. Paul didn't really talk so much. He, he did talk about judging, he, but his main emphasis in that passage we read in Colossians was, why do you let those kind of people judge you? The one who you're supposed to be living to please. You know, in worship we talk about dance for an audience of one. I'm not worshiping so you see. I'm not worshiping so other people can see or the spiritual people can see. I'm worshiping because I love Jesus and I want him to know how much I love him and I worship him. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. If you'd like to hear this full message in the series called One, it's available right now on demand at reachingforreallife.org. And we'd also love to hear from you on our contact us page or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue on the Donate tab at reachingforreallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, right next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.